welcome to Lost Without Japan, a travel podcast about the life-changing experiences of exploring Japan and those moments we would be lost without. For your listening pleasure, allow me to introduce your very own Kanko Gaido, Michael. Welcome to a special Lost Without Moments bonus interview episode of the Lost Without Japan podcast. Our bi-weekly podcast is focused on getting you to Japan for your first visit or to make your next adventure to Japan even better than your last. Today's special interview episode is with Peter from Snow Monkey Resorts in Nagano, Japan, and we're going to cover an amazing amount of services that will do just that. Make that next trip of yours to Japan unforgettable. This is your Kanko Gaido for TKIC Studio Productions coming to you with hopes and dreams of a return to travel for himself and others still holding out hope for summer 2022. I'd like to thank you all for giving me a bit of your time today, and I truly hope this podcast finds you in a good place or on the path to a better one, no matter how it may seem at this moment. My belief is that we could all use a beacon like this one in our lives to help guide us during these times, and my hope is that Japan, along with this show, will become that for you. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning Lost Without Listener, thank you for returning. For today's show, let me introduce a special guest from snowmonkeyresort.com, Peter. I must say I'm truly thankful for you setting aside time again today to join me for this interview. Peter, you're giving Stephanie a run for money for quickest to return, but I got to tell you, (laughs) sorry, my friend, silver medal, second place, second quickest to return, but thank you, Peter, for coming today. Uh, my, my pleasure, Michael. So good to speak to you again, and I'll, I'll take anything I can get. Looking forward to um, talking monkeys, Nagano in Japan. Look forward to it, my friend. Now, I've traveled to Japan multiple times, and uh, I think it's easy to fall into a trap where you plan mm. activities that are just based on, like if you pull up Google or whatever your favorite search engine is and type Japan, you're going to pull up Tokyo. You're going to pull up Kyoto. You'll pull up some things uh, possibly from Osaka as well. Um, But, Mm. you know, what I'm finding, the more I interview um, others uh, that are in Japan that are running businesses like yours, uh, Peter, is that I've been missing out, my friend. And I feel (laughs) that listeners of the show, if they go to Japan and listen, hey, if all you can do is go to Tokyo and that's it, listen, I'm not going to say no, do it. You're going to have a Mm. blast of a time. But I feel the more that I'm, you know, expanding, you know, what I do when I go to Japan as well, if you only do Tokyo and uh, let's say Tokyo, Kyoto, you're missing out. You need to at least have that day trip set aside to see the rest of Japan and really see what things are like. And your, uh, you know, services, everything that you have to offer would be a great choice for somebody uh, to do that. And like I said, I'm so fortunate to have you uh, join us today. Welcome, Peter. This is your chance (laughs) Uh, again here uh, for a little bit of a, you know, an extended uh, share about yourself and things uh, with listeners of Lost Without Japan. Um, But before we get to you sharing too much, what Mm. 
can uh if listeners are like snow monkeys i'm in peter uh you know nagano <laughs> i'm in what where can they go to uh reach out to you to kind of inquire about services set different things up with you ask additional questions as they look to book these trips that i'm hoping hap- happen uh sooner rather than later yeah, sure. So uh, in terms of uh, reaching out to us, by far the best option is through our website. Our website is very easy to remember. Uh, it's snowmonkeyresorts.com. Obviously, on the website, you're going to find everything you need to know about the snow monkeys. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to go into a bit of detail about the monkeys, but you'll find everything you need to know about uh, how to get there, what to expect, the reasons you should go. Uh, also, the tours and services we provide revolving around the monkeys. So... I think, you know, obviously, as the, as the company's name suggests, snowmonkeyresorts.com, we actually started uh, focused purely on the monkeys taking tours in and out of the monkey park. And over the course of the last few years, uh, thanks to you know, um, uh, very generous guests who have booked with us, we've managed to expand our services to obviously still a large focus on the monkeys, but many, many more things, tours to different areas in Nagano and the south, surrounding prefectures, uh, we uh, branched out into uh, supplying some accommodation, travel packages, and importantly, being Nagano, uh, ski packages. Nagano, as some of the listeners are, are probably, uh, ring, probably rings, a, rings a bell for a few listeners, Nagano hosted the 1998 Winter Olympics. Uh, it's home to around 80 ski resorts, the most ski resorts of any area in Japan. Uh, we would, of course, argue the best ski resorts, although our friends in Hokkaido would also have something to say about that, but we're going to argue that ours are the best for various reasons. Uh, but also that it includes Japan's largest ski resort, Shikokoge, which is actually very nearby um, uh, the monkey park. So we, we provide a range of services, not just monkeys. Uh, we also, uh, our website, if you visit, uh, provides information about Nagano, uh, the surrounding areas making up central Japan, which we consider our home region, but also lots of information about other areas of Japan, including Tokyo. You're going to find information on there. For example, our recommendations, the best museums in Tokyo, the best things to do in Kyoto, the best things to do in Hokkaido, Okinawa, and all types of places. Uh, So yeah, by far, our our website is the best place to visit. We also have um, social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, and what am I forgetting? Facebook, uh, under the same name, snowmonkeyresorts.com. But to be honest, we haven't um, been maintaining those as much during COVID, uh, but hopefully with the borders hopefully set to reopen. Uh, we'll start to be more active on those accounts again. So if you were to contact us through our social media accounts, we would would reply to you. For sure. And I got to say, like, if I can um, go ahead and pause the show for a moment here and pull up the website. It is uh, how I found uh, Peter uh, and found uh, Snow Monkey Resorts. It wasn't even uh, I wasn't even uh, searching for Nagano, uh, but the resources (laughs) that I found were, you know, for other places that were there. And I as I started to look at this, I'm like, wait a second. Uh, You know, we were going to be looking to do Nagano probably a little bit later uh, in the year. uh, But this is a perfect time, I think, to kind of share uh, that you really I mean, that website's amazing uh, and you can quickly see and we'll get into this in a a little bit later, too. But there's so much to do in Nagano and it's not Mm. limited in any way, shape or form to uh, winter. So that's just it's just great. Truly great. Yeah, that's right. So actually, obviously, our peak season is winter. Uh, Nagano is best known for its ski resorts, its mountains, its snow, and of course, the snow monkeys. But quite interesting, actually, for domestic tourism, for Japanese coming to Nagano, the peak season is actually in the summer. 
rather than the winter. It's still very busy in winter with Japanese coming here to take advantage of the uh, of the ski resorts and to visit the monkeys. But yeah, interestingly, uh, Japanese tend to see it as an all-year-round destination, and I, I hope that that message comes across through the website because we really want to bring people uh, here, attract people to our home region uh, or uh, no matter what time of year they're visiting Japan. And that goes uh, for the monkeys as well. The monkeys, actually, the name Snow Monkeys is a little bit misleading uh, because the monkeys are at the park or come into the park at all times of year. So they're there in spring, summer, and autumn. And each of those seasons uh, has its kind of gives its own incentives to visit. And um, I, I would actually argue that they're just as good as visiting in winter. So it really is all year round destination. No doubt about it. And I think for um, like, we're going to go into talk a little a little bit later as well. Um, you know, I'm going to encourage people to, uh, you know, go to Nagano and actually make sure to spend the night and support the local businesses and things that are there and family run, you know, uh, mm. locations and things that are here. Mm. But if all you can do is a day trip uh, then do that. Uh, again, um, it's refreshing uh, to get out of those bustling cities. And at the end of the day, you're going to find uh, a part of Japan that you wouldn't see otherwise. And if it isn't already, uh, I think it's in the water when you visit uh, that you just want to return. But seeing something else there, uh, especially Nagano or these other uh, places that we've talked about, um, are going to keep you coming back and just find new things to do with your time. Now, uh, Peter, the following part we're going to talk to is kind of uh, about you. Uh, how much mm. you share about you is uh, truly up to you. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> we, gonna, but I, I feel like we've done this once before, Peter. But this is going to be this is all yes. like that, that, that practice uh, for yeah. this moment now, my friend. So uh, go, go ahead. Uh, why don't you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself, uh, your Japan experiences, some mm-hmm. personal things, if you'd like. And we'll yep. go on from there. Yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, so obviously my name is Peter. Uh, I'm originally from Melbourne, Australia. I've been living in Japan now a total of around, I think, seven years. So the way I came to Japan was kind of similar to, I guess, a lot of people's stories. Um, I first took a teaching position in Niigata. So Niigata is the prefecture to our north, very similar to Nagano, uh, lots of big mountains, not so many people, very beautiful traditional lifestyle. Um, The reason I took that position was kind of on a whim. I was mid-career in Melbourne in a job that, you know, didn't give me many reasons to leave, but I really wasn't sure it was what I wanted to be doing, I kind of uh, a career I fell into. So one positive of that job was I could take time off. Uh, so I took a year off and just on a whim, I thought I want to go experience living in rural Japan. So I applied for a teaching position and was uh, placed in a school up in a town called Tokomachi in uh, Niigata, Japan. And I came over, the contract was for a year, but I ended up extending to a year and a half. And I I just loved the experience. Uh, While I was there, uh, that area of Japan hosts a very large arts festival called Echigo Tsumari. Some people might have heard of it, but I think a lot of listeners certainly would have heard of uh, the very famous art island called Naoshima, down on the Seto Inland Sea, and the art festival there called Setouchi. Uh, Very, very popular. There's actually a predecessor of that, uh, uh, that festival, it was Echigotsumari, the festival in um, in Niigata, which is still running. The official festival is every three years with a smaller one every summer. But uh, the Australian government is involved in that festival and sends artists over, uh, over each summer to reside in Niigata. And I uh, volunteered while I was there teaching English. I volunteered 
uh, there to assist uh, the artists and just kind of fell in love with that lifestyle and rural Japan in general. And so I actually wrapped up my time uh, made my decisions about my career that it was time to move on. And then just as I was leaving Japan, right at the end, I met my now wife, uh, which was quite unexpected. Uh, we ended up doing uh, long distance for quite a long period of time. I ended up moving abroad to a different country for, for a while. Uh, and then uh, one thing led to another. Uh, I left that career. Uh, I enrolled. I went back and uh, did a master's online with an Australian university and at that point decided uh, let's go back to Japan, and I wanted to move into uh, cultural tourism. And I was very fortunate that just as I was wrapping up uh, my master's, uh, I found this job. And so I joined Snow Monkey Resorts as a part-time guide. Uh, basically, you know, I, the day after I handed in my final research uh, paper for my master's, I started this job, which was really fantastic. Um, I began as a part-time guide and then pretty quickly I became full-time. Uh, at that time, this is the pre-COVID days, our business was expanding really quickly. So we were taking on uh, part-time guides, both Japanese and foreign resident guides. We, we, we make a point of using both because it gives our guests a really good, diverse experience and different views of Japan. And then, so then my job became managing, uh, training and supporting those guides, uh, creating the tours, uh, improving the tours, so to speak, and writing the content for our website. So today my job really is uh, I write all the content on our, on our website. So for, for better or for worse, uh, but that's all there. What, what you see on the website, I, I basically uh, have written. And uh, at the moment, because uh, there's not much tourism happening right now, but the tours we do get, we do get bookings from uh, foreign residents of Japan. I'm out guiding those a lot and involved in uh, creating new tours for hopefully the when inbound comes back quite soon. And I, uh, Peter, I feel like we could talk for hours on end, especially uh, even on some of the things that you had in between, um, uh, you know, like after you left Japan before coming mm. back to Japan with your wife. Uh, there's so, you know, so much that we could talk about uh, in that regard. So um, with that. Uh, there's so much to do, and especially the area that you're in uh, for hiking, uh, you know, mm. fun with snow. What are your uh, biggest Japan interests? Well, there's so many. And uh, one of the things I really like about my job as a guide uh, is it allows you to remember what it was like when you were first here. So when you have your, uh, especially your guests who are in Japan for the first time, and a lot of them, uh, when they join our tours, it might be their first time outside one of the major cities. So they're really encountering a new side of Japan and you're part of that experience. And hopefully we are enhancing that experience for them, something I really enjoy. But it allows me to remember what it was like when I was first seeing these things. And so one of the reasons I think Japan is just an ideal travel destination is that it's easy to travel around. Firstly, everything works, it's efficient, it's clean, it's safe. And things are familiar. If we're, I guess we're talking largely to a Western audience. Things are uh, very familiar to uh, Westerners, but everything is kind of different, making it really easy but fascinating to move around. And so the things that I was initially attracted to were the, were the same things. I, I think that most people are. It's the food, the traditional architecture, you know, the weirdness of many aspects of the, especially the urban culture. Yes. But then yes. over time, <laughs> over time, because I've been here for what, up to around seven years now, I find that my, um, especially through my job, it actually introduces you to things that you may 
otherwise not have discovered. And, and I'm increasingly more interested in the really traditional parts of Japan. And that's when I talk, when I say that I'm talking about things like Shintoism. Uh, Japan has is a bit unique in, in that most Japanese subscribe to two religions. Uh, Buddhism, which is the introduced religion, and Shintoism, which is the native religion. And I always say to my guests and my tours, I think if you really want to understand the Japanese heart, you really need to delve into Shintoism, what it's all about. If you want to understand the Japanese mind, that's that's kind of Buddhism. If you want to understand the heart and what really makes Japan tick, Shintoism. And I realize maybe some of the listeners aren't as familiar with what Shintoism is all about. Um, I won't bore you too much <laughs> to go into the details. But one of the things I really like about it in Shintoism, there's a strong environmental message. Uh, nature worship is extremely important to Shintoism. So I think that message is relevant to anybody. doesn't matter which country you're from. Uh, I think, you know, talking to guests from all around the world, everybody says the same thing and you know the environment and things like this is really on their mind and so shintoism has a very strong positive environmental message so i think it's relevant to all of our lives and it gives a real insight into what japan is all about uh extending from that you know shintoism believes in things like spirits uh, literally believes in them and you get into the whole side of kind of yokai culture in japan they believe in spirits ghosts ghouls and these things and i find this aspect of of japan uh really fascinating so that's kind of um what I'm, what I kind of uh, find myself, you know, reading about and uh, going to different places to to, to learn more about. Now, in terms of really more basic things, uh, hot springs, uh, the onsen is something that I love. If I were to leave Japan, I would really miss that aspect of life. And so, obviously, that links in to the monkeys very much. The monkeys are very famous for bathing in the hot springs. And so, anyone who comes to Japan, I would really encourage you to make a point of seeking out the hot springs. Now, I think a lot of Westerners are maybe nervous the first time they do it because as you're probably aware, uh, to enter the uh, hot spring, you must be uh, wearing no clothes at all. And so that can be a little bit intimidating. But my advice is don't worry about it. Uh, it's a totally normal part of Japanese culture. They're not bothered by it, so don't let it bother you. If you are bothered, uh, a lot of onsens, especially the nicer hotels with their own onsens, will, will uh, offer the option of a private onsen. And so that's something which I would really encourage people to yeah, seek out when they're here. And it's true. That's 100 percent because, you know, it's something that is nerve wracking if you're not used to. But you'll find uh, once you're in the water, uh, how comfortable you become. And then every time after you realize the people around you, this is not a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it it is. It's uh, one of those additional experiences you can have, uh, you know, for it for now. Beyond that uh, onsen and beyond um, that uh, Shinto part of things, like, hey, you know, beyond, you know, my hope of being reincarnated as a monkey in Nagano. Um, it's there, not a bad life. <laughs> no, no, really, really not. And I can agree with you. We could talk about experiences for Shinto. I'm not a, a more of a spiritual person, but if, you know, mm. one of those things, if that was out more in the world, just as far as uh, the respect to everything, uh, everyone, um, all those different parts, uh what a better place, uh, you know, we'd be mm. in uh, just, just, you know, just as a whole. So I, I, I it, it is, it, it is something, the more that I'm there, uh, the more meaningful it becomes to myself as well. Uh, but one of the reasons I go to Japan beyond seeing these wonderful sites is uh, food. And mm. <laughs> uh, what are some of your uh, favorite foods or places that you like to visit for a meal uh, in Japan or snack? We can add snacks, you know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, where, where do we where do we start and where do we stop really? So um, I think yeah, again, 
one of the great things of travel to any country is the food, isn't it? So Japan is is no different, and it's just you know when it comes to food, you're spoiled for choice here. Uh, if I, you know, if I had to name one, I would go straight for seafood. Uh, I, I already loved seafood before I came to Japan. And then when you come here, wow, it's just fantastic. It's such a big part of the diet here. Uh, such a diverse part of the diet. Really fantastic. Bad news for me, though, is that Nagano is landlocked. <laughs> we have no coastline, no beaches. However, luckily, we're quite close to the north coast, uh, Niigata, Toyama, Ishikawa. As I already mentioned, my wife is originally from Niigata, so we go up there quite often to see her family or friends. And as much as possible, we make a point when we do that to go to the coastal markets and the restaurants that are literally attached to the fish markets where the fresh catches come in and you buy, you know, the meals that you're buying, uh, having there. Uh, have literally been caught that morning. Uh, so really, that's that's my go-to meal. I'd happily eat it every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I could. Uh, so seafood is definitely my, my first choice. Uh, in terms of if you're coming to, to Nagano, as I said, Nagano is a mountainous area. Most of Japan's tallest mountains are in in Nagano. I should actually maybe just quickly, just to, on a little bit of a tangent, just in case people aren't kind of familiar with where Nagano is. Uh, Nagano uh, is located to the northwest of Tokyo. Uh, uh, we're quite, it's a quite a large prefecture. It's around the, it's the fourth largest prefecture and it's largely mountainous. So it's at some distance from Tokyo, but thanks to the Shinkansen, uh, the bullet train, it's only around 80 to 110 minutes, depending which service you, you take. So an hour and a half to two hours. It's very, very easy to get here. Uh, and we, you know, so it's easy to get to from Tokyo, but in all other regards, it's really a world away. You forget about the massive urban sprawl of Tokyo. You're not, they're not going to get here. Get that here. Nagano City is a small little city, and with you know, within uh, ten minutes of being in a city, you can be out into the forest and into the mountains. It's a beautiful place. Uh, being in the mountains, um, one of the traditional uh, aspects of of uh, diet here is what they call jibie. Jibie is wild meat or game meat that's hunted in the forests. And so, you, when you're in Nagano City, you're going to see a lot of jibie restaurants. Uh, serving things that you'd expect, like deer, uh, deer uh, called shika in, in Japanese, uh, inoshishi, which is wild boar, duck, things like this. And so I really love um, jibie. Again, I take every chance I can uh, to go and get it. And you know, it's served in all different ways. Uh, I think it's just fantastic. Um, you're going to also, I mean, if you go to a jibie restaurant, in Nagano, you might encounter some more, you know, uh, unique or kind of exotic things. Uh, you may occasionally see bear on the menu. Now, whether that's something that you want to try, totally up to you. But it's, you know, that's just an example of something which is a bit more, you know, unusual. And as I said, it is a traditional part of the diet. Uh, all the restaurants are obtaining their meat sustainably and ethically. It's legal, uh, the meat that they're eating here. So that's a really uh, interesting part of the diet. And the other thing that I would also say, if you're in this area, is to seek out sansai. Sansai is a wild vegetables or mountain vegetables. And so we're currently in sansai season at the moment. So if you drive up into the forest around Nagano right now or into the mountains, you'll see a lot of Japanese out there uh, picking the wild vegetables to bring home, to prepare in different ways. One of, the, one of my favorite ways to have it is tempura. Tempura is the lightly battered and fried um, and they said they all types of all, uh, wild vegetables, but they also might just put it in with noodles. Uh, they might uh, pickle it in all different ways of preparing it. So I'd say in terms of what in Nagano, I, uh, I really enjoy jibia, uh, the meat, and sunside, the wild vegetables. I, you know, well, I, I, 
super excited uh, for kind of that vegetable talk of things that's there because it's one of those things like every area has something to offer and mm. uh you know, for listeners, there's a wide variety of people that are listening uh, to the show that may have a bunch of different interests. But uh, it seems like every time I talk to somebody, I'm adding more to my list. I may have to have that multiple lifetimes, I think, to you know, touch <laughs> upon you know, everything that I'm looking to. Um, yeah. But that, that's uh, one more reason, uh, you know, to, to get outside of those, you know, like the, the main cities themselves and see something else uh, that you especially Especially if it's uh, for dining uh, that you may mm. not have experienced at all. And who knows, you may go back home and start searching out some things that you may not have uh, otherwise. So just great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Because one of the reasons that we, if you look at our website, it's uh, we don't just have information about our region, but we have region uh, information about all regions of Japan. And one of the reasons that we do that is a realization from talking to guests on tours that obviously uh, guests before their itinerary is basically locked in before they arrive in Japan. And so uh, a lot of people, when they come on our tours, it might be their first time. And for some people, it's their only time outside of a major city. It's interesting. I can't remember the exact statistics, but um, despite how how huge uh, tourism into Japan pre-COVID was, something like 60 or 70% of those people never leave these urban centers like Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka. And so we, what we often found was that the guests on our tours would come out to be their first or possibly their only time out of a city. They love it. And they would remark to us, oh, if I'd only known, I would have actually allowed much more time to explore outside of the cities. And so I'd really encourage anyone to do it. But it's also one of the reasons that we provide information, not about, just about our region on our website, about all regions. So hopefully people can build that complete itinerary and take in not just the cities, but the regional areas and rural areas of Japan that, that are, you know, that are just as much a part of the Japanese story as the big cities like Tokyo. All right. And that's it. And at the end of the day, um, I, like the more we uh, kind of can learn about everyone else and, uh, you know, each other, uh, mm. you know, just adds to who we are and, uh, you know, just a better understanding of everyone. And I, uh, all of these different experiences you can have, uh, especially, if it is, uh, you're not like myself where you don't enjoy spending uh, two weeks researching uh, one location that you're going to. And I, I find that fascinating and I love it yeah. and it's just nonstop. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, Mike, I don't want to leave this to myself. I don't want to mess something up. I'd much rather just give this to someone else that knows what they're doing. And, uh, you know, especially, um, you know, for if you're going to be going to try to set this up and go to Nagano and go through, why not uh, take it from somebody that is there, uh, that knows the area, has done many trips and can give that experience to you the best you can. And that's one thing that I'm beginning to realize is that even though I've been to Japan so many times, I'm missing out a bit uh, by not, uh, mm. you know, kind of reaching out to some people uh, for different things. Uh and just kind of either further accenting, you know, what my trip is, what my experience is, and uh, get even more. I mean, just because you've been someplace a bunch of times doesn't mean that you have to do it on your own. And that's one reason I'm of many uh, that I'm happy about doing these interviews. And uh, it's going to be great to uh, reach out and uh, touch base, you know, as things open up and go mm. from there. So it's it's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for us, uh, 
one other thing that I'd, I'd like to talk with you here. We got you know many questions to follow here, but one <laughs> one that we've both been waiting for is uh, what are your go to locations to visit when you're not in Nagano, Japan, my friend. Uh, okay, so quite a few actually. Uh, so as I mentioned, we quite regularly head up to Niigata. Uh, I said my wife is from Niigata, so Niigata is certainly one of my favorite places to get to outside of um, outside of uh, Nagano. Uh, that, it's very similar to to to, to Nagano. Uh, it, it's a large, yes, a large uh, large prefecture, lots of mountains, uh, and the northern coast. So we spend a lot of time up there, uh, and especially in the summer with the arts festival I mentioned, Echigotsumari. We very much like to head up there, uh, take advantage of that. It's a really interesting initiative with artists uh, from uh, both international and Japanese. And the concept behind that is that it's a collaboration between the local people and the artists and people uh, trying to attract new life, new, uh, kind of revitalizing areas that are really struggling with economic and population decline. Uh, outside of Niigata, and uh, I'd like to, you know, because as I said we do live regionally, so we get a good chance to head, head into the mountains and, and do those type of things on our weekends. If I'm going to go a little bit further afield to a city, for example, I like, I like heading to Osaka. Uh, Osaka, to me uh, personally, I prefer it over Tokyo. Uh, it's you know it's similar; it's a huge city, uh, to, uh, just like Tokyo, but I find it a bit more accessible as a foreigner than Tokyo. If you could uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what uh, Snow Monkey uh, tours and like resorts uh, uh, has to offer. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so as I mentioned, our company began in 2014 uh, based in and around the Snow Monkey Park. So the Snow Monkey Park uh, in Japanese is referred to as Jigukudani Yang Koen. Jigukudani is the name of the area and Yang Koen means wild monkey park. Uh, so it's around 50 minutes outside of Nagano City, uh, very easy to access by car or public transport. Now, the park itself is home to a fairly unique uh, troop of monkeys. Uh, so this is the only troop of monkeys in the world who have known to naturally bathe in the hot springs. So hot springs in Japan, natural hot springs, are referred to as onsen. It's a bit of a long story how this came to occur, but the monkeys, quite some time ago, in the 60s and 70s, ended up living in this area, in the foothills of this uh, national park. And once in this area, they observed humans uh, using onsens, and they began to copy the behavior for themselves. So, you know, as they say, monkey see, monkey do, right? So this is, <laughs> this is a prime example of it. Um, and ever since then, uh, it's been a popular tourist destination. The park isn't actually there for tourists. It's there as a conservation and research facility, but just that we are welcome to visit to see this very unique site of the monkeys bathing in the onsen. Uh, it's a really good experience because the monkeys are wild, so there's nothing keeping them in the park. They come and go as they please. So they Typically, they leave, at the, leave in, in the evening and they come back the next day with pretty, pretty firm regularity. Uh, there's no barriers in the park. So when you walk through the park, the monkeys come right up to you. You're not allowed to touch them or interfere with them in any way, but they, they're not afraid of humans. So they're going to walk up to you. They, they literally will run between your legs. So it's a rare opportunity to get so close to wild monkeys. And being Japanese, these monkeys are very respectful of your space and your things. They're not going to give you a hard time. So it's a really fantastic experience. Uh, that's Our company began by taking tours, small groups, into the monkey park. And we do that in combination with other activities. So most people who want to see the monkeys are going to dedicate a day to do it. And typically at the monkey park, you need two to three hours. Obviously, it's not a whole day experience for most people. 
So our tours combine the monkey park with other activities in and around Nagano and other areas. Uh, we have a range of group tours that operate in all season. Winter is our peak, but our tours operate all year round. And we have certain tours that operate uh, every month of the year and certain tours that only operate in certain seasons, whether it's uh, winter, uh, spring, summer or Awesome. And over the course of the year, uh, of, uh, over the years, I've been working with the company since 2017. Our scope has expanded uh, well outside of the park now to where we cover not just Nagano, but surrounding prefectures of central Japan. And we have tours to all uh, many, many different destinations. And the best place to, to find that information as to exactly where we go is on our website. If you go onto snowmonkeyresorts.com and just to click on the tours tab, you're going to get a long list of what we offer. Uh, so group tours and private. So we offer both group and private, which we can customize to your interests, your itinerary, you know, for example, pick you up at the station, drop you at your accommodation. We can package those tours with your with your accommodation or anything that you might need while you, you're here. We're a, a registered travel agent, so we can arrange all of that for you. And as I think we're going to, as you mentioned before, uh, we have both uh, we have uh, Japanese, English, and Chinese speaking staff. We provide really good support to any of our guests, so we're going to respond to you very, very quickly. And unlike a lot of operators, we're not seasonal. Uh, a lot of operators in Nagano will just focus on the winter. So maybe uh, if you're coming here outside of winter or not operating, or possibly uh, not responding to you as fast as you might like, uh, we operate uh, 365 days a year. So we're going to get back to you um, really quickly and hopefully entice you to, to come up and visit us. And that's, that was one of the things I noticed, too, that also, uh, like, caught my attention was that uh, multiple language, you know, support, because we have listeners that are from different places. And that's mm -hmm. that's a huge plus just to be able to offer uh, someone to be able to experience that. And uh, one thing I'd like to ask is we've talked about uh, the JRL Pass um, as a whole for those traveling from overseas, but we do have some listeners uh, from within Japan as well. Um, what would be some recommendations uh, for for them uh, to kind of uh, help them get out to where you are and experience uh, Nagano and all that it has to offer? Yeah, uh, so I guess if you're listening from inside of Japan, uh, the first thing to mention is that quite generously now, or quite fortunately, I should say, the, the government has now extended the eligibility for many of the passes to foreign residents. So we're still not eligible to use the full Japan Rail Pass, but most of the regional passes we can now use, which are really great value. So if you are, are here and you're not aware of that, Take a look at the Japan Rail website because it tells you which which passes that we are eligible for, and I think it really represents, especially because I mean, for, if you're living in Japan, it's likely you're going to be traveling on your weekends, and so maybe you're you're doing a two or three day trip. Unlike an inbound tourists who might be here for two or three weeks, and therefore the full pass is really attractive. If you're only traveling for two or three days, the regional passes offer some really good deals and to save you a lot of money. Uh, same thing for anyone living here is to look at the regional lines as much as you look at the Shinkansen. The Shinkansen. It's going to take you into some really beautiful areas and those trains are you know also very very fast even the local ones that run slow uh really comfortable you know really nice and they can take you especially in, in our region a lot of the train lines will follow the rivers through the mountains so really spectacular i'd look at that i guess one thing that we've focused a lot on a lot during covid uh with uh, the absence of inbound is actually really uh 
refining our services and our travel products so they're of interest to uh, foreign residents of Japan. So maybe if you're a foreign resident and you're wondering, yeah, well, why would I need to book a tour? We actually find that a lot of our guests, well, obviously all of our guests right now are foreign residents, and they, they get just as much out of the tour as our inbound guests. I think one thing that we focus on with our tours is presenting the information in a really engaging way that foreign, a foreign kind of uh, audience can understand and relate to. So if you look at our, for example, our tours that go to uh, uh, the temple, Zenkoji Temple, so Nagano is home to one of the oldest and uh, most important Buddhist temples in Japan. And it's actually our most popular tour. It combines a visit to the temple with uh, monkeys and lunch and some sake testing. And some people might wonder, well, why would I want to book a uh, if I live here, why would I want to book a guide to take me to these places? Our tours are designed to actually really unlock these experiences in a really engaging, family-friendly way. And we find that actually our guests take as much out from the visits to the temple as they do from the monkeys. And this applies to inbound as well. So I think that if you are here and you are considering you know, coming up to this region, Booking a tour is a great way just to save yourself the time of having to worry about the transport, arranging everything, and kind of picking picking uh, which restaurant to go to. That's all taken care of for you, and it's done in a way that I think you're going to you're going to get more out of the experience of whatever the destination is that we're taking you to. I, I like that, and uh, it, it is. Uh, I'm finding, especially when you're off the beaten path, uh, people's level of comfort uh, can increase so much. So just by having that guide uh you know with them uh to make sure that they're getting uh where they need to be and uh getting the most out of that time that's fantastic and for you uh as well uh like traveling through what are some of the favorite activities that people reach out to you 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 said the temple you've talked about our uh snow monkeys but what are some other activities that you offer that are going to make someone want to kind of have that return trip uh, to Nagano as well. Or maybe uh, on a return trip, they see maybe I want to do two days as opposed to one. Or what are some things in that regard? Yeah. So I think a lot of people approach us, obviously, given the name of our company and our focus on the monkeys. That's for many people, that's the way they discover us. But then once they come onto our website, uh, one thing that they realize is the monkeys, you know, the name is a bit misleading, isn't it? The snow monkeys. And the monkeys are there all year round. Uh, they're just as comfortable in the snow as they are in the heat and humidity of summer. And that's what they're most famous for. But the monkeys are there all year round. And each uh, each season gives a, its own reasons uh, to visit the parks. Obviously, um, winter being the most popular, uh, it's the most likely time you'll see them in the onsen. The park is buried in deep snow. So it's you know really fantastic and interesting time to visit the park. But then when spring comes, spring brings the blossoms and the baby monkeys. So the monkeys have their babies uh, usually from late April through to June. And mo- mothers will disappear into the mountains for about a week before they come back into the park with the baby. And pretty quickly, they give their baby a lot of freedom. And uh, you, you can get, you know, giving them the uh, space that they need, you will get, get quite close to them. So it's a really fantastic. And it's actually that's actually my favorite time of year to take guests into the park. Uh, in summer, uh, the park is very lush and green, and it offers, a, again, a nice escape from that uh, heat and humidity that we mentioned before autumn, which is probably the most beautiful time of year. Um, as you mentioned, Michael, with the, the forest leaves are changing, you have the first snow on the mountains. And uh, the, so it's just a really spectacular time of year to be up there. Uh, 
Once onto our website, though, I think what people discover is that the range of things that we do that are not monkey related, and this yes. Nagano offers just as much outside of winter that it does in winter. And as I said, usually it's related to the mountains. So, for example, right now, you know, we're getting towards the end of May. We've been taking guests up to uh, a destination that I think is one of the best destinations in Japan called the Tatayama Kurobe Alpine Route. You may have heard of that. It's a series of mountain transports that takes you up into Japan's highest mountain range, takes you up to about 2,400 uh, meters, just a little bit higher, and in the shadow of the summit of a uh, one of Japan's most sacred mountains called Mount Tatayama. Where the listeners might have seen images of this is the immense snow walls. So this area is inaccessible during winter due to the snowfall. And toward the end of winter, some much uh, tougher people than me go up there and carve out the, the uh, walls, uh, carve, out, uh, carve out a route through the snow. And this year's walls, at the beginning when the route was opened, measured 18 meters in height. Wow! So you might, yeah, you might have seen those photographs of buses passing under these immense walls. That they almost look like they've been photoshopped. Uh, they haven't. That is real. So we uh, take that opens in April. From mid-April, that is open. We take guests up there, and that stays open until uh, the toward the end of November. So the walls are there until uh, in until. Well, mid-June the walls are in pretty good condition after that time the, the snow will totally melt but then it opens up some of Japan's best alpine hiking and we have a tour that goes up there to do some walking in the summer really fantastic destination another one that if you look at our website now you'll see is Kamikochi so Kamikochi is located about two and a half hours from Nagano, uh, closer to Matsumoto City than Nagano City. The Kamikochi is another destination which is closed during winter because of the amount of snow. It opens also from mid-April and stays open to mid-November. Uh, we have some tours that take people up there for some very, very leisurely walking. So it's, Kamikochi is an alpine valley uh, located between 1,400 and 1,600 metres uh, with the mountains above going to over 3,100. So it's it, very spectacular views of Japan's third tallest mountain, Mount Hotaka. And we go up there uh, and do that tour in combination with uh, destinations like Matsumoto, Matsumoto Castle, which is one of the most beautiful and one of the few remaining original castles in Japan, or uh, some more local experiences like wasabi picking at wasabi farms and things like that. And so that's, without you know, boring you too much with um, everything that we do, we have uh, seasonal tours running throughout the year, including cherry blossoms, uh, Matsuri, which are the local festivals, fireworks festivals, and uh, special events and, and other fest, uh, other tours that keep us busy throughout the year. So hopefully, again, uh, people come there to discover the monkeys and then discover uh, a whole lot more about Nagano. And most of our tours, we can combine onto multi-day tours and we can package that with accommodation if that's something you're interested in. And I like the fact that, uh, you know, that's why part of why I wanted to talk to you today is uh, a lot of people ag agree in the, the fact that if you're thinking Nagano, you're thinking Winter Olympics, you're thinking things that are here, uh, you're thinking pictures you've seen. And, and it's pretty clear that uh, Nagano as a whole has so much to offer year round. And yeah. I think it's huge. And it's something that like, you know, uh, when my son and I come, uh, it'd be a nice uh, getaway day. Uh, from Tokyo or for, you know, for, from those things that are there, just to uh, hop our uh, Shinkansen and, uh, you know, get a little bit of an escape from temperature, but also just allow, uh, you know, to be see, to see something that you may not normally get to uh, and possibly fall in love with it. You never know what, what part of Japan is going to be the one that you connect with the most. So see as many things as you can. <laughs> it's like, really, really it is. 
Absolutely. And it's worth mentioning, actually, all of our tours are designed to coincide with the Shinkansen schedule. So, yeah, we hope that if you come and see us, that you choose to stay here for a few nights and explore everything Nagano has to offer. Uh, but many, many of our guests just come here as a day trip because they're, obviously they've got quite tight itineraries. All of our tours, the start and end time, coincides with convenient Shinkansen services, meaning that you can leave um, Tokyo in the morning, come up for the tour, and we'll have you back on the Shinkansen to be back in Tokyo at a reasonable time. And you can just do it as a day trip as well. So yeah, many, many of our visitors just come here as a day trip. And, that, and it's with me, I, I feel like it's going to be the same case, Peter. It's like when I went to Hiroshima, it was pretty much that. I went to go to the Peace Museum and had a night and took off from there and uh, kind of fell in, like made friends that were in the area, fell in love with the area. And it's like each time I come back to Japan, I just keep on extending my time in mm. that area. And I could see something like this being the same thing with Nagato, where it's going to be, you know, you go for that you know, if it's a day experience or a night and I could see this being like, well, when I return, I have to come and come back again. <laughs> you know? And, and one thing I wanted to ask is like, you offer so much for people to do, but one thing I know, at least for me, and I'm sure other people listening, um, is what restaurants uh, would you mm. direct someone to if they're looking to you know make that stay? Because for some people beyond um, you know your you, you may have somebody that comes with a family member or a friend that may not want to see the monkeys. <laughs> I, I think they're wrong <laughs> if they don't go, but maybe they don't want to. What is it that you could tell um, I that person that comes with um, a restaurant or the people that go? They go eat and now they're like or they go do all of your activities. They want to. Get something to eat what could you recommend uh uh that's in your area sure well let's start with the monkey park because I, I imagine a lot of listeners who are tuning in for this are interested specifically in the monkeys so the monkeys uh, monkey park is located in a onsen village called kambayashi onsen uh, so the same source of water which feeds the onsen in the monkey park is piped down to the town below where it feeds uh some very very uh some fantastic ryokan, ryokan are the traditional guest houses, many of which have their own, or in that area, all of them have their own in-house get, uh, hot springs. So it's using the same source of water as the monkeys. Uh, the monkeys haven't bathed in it prior to the water coming down. It's a, it's a separate, <laughs> it's, it's piped down separately, so don't worry about that. Uh, but Kambuyashi, one thing that people might not um, think of, the, the monkeys, they would look at the monkeys and think, that's, you know, it's just a day trip. And certainly that's fine. It can be certainly done as a day trip. And that's one of the reasons that we have our tour. But it's also worth considering staying around there. Kambayashi is one of three uh, hot spring towns surrounding the monkey park. So there's Kambayashi. There's another town called Shibu Onsen. And a, another town called Yudanaka Onsen. Yudanaka is the town with the nearest train station to the monkey park. But in those three um, hot spring towns, you have a huge range of accommodation that suits all uh, prices, tastes, and budgets. Uh, so I'd encourage people, if they're looking at the monkeys, whether it's on a tour or taking them themselves, to consider staying up in that area and really experiencing what onsen culture is all about, which kind of brings me to what else to do in that area. In terms of restaurants, uh, the nearest restaurant to the Monkey Park or restaurant cafe is called Enza Cafe. It's um, directly, it's probably, you know, only a few moments walk from the trail leading to the park. 
To get to the park, you have to walk along a one-mile trail or 1.6-kilometer trail. It takes about 25 minutes in summer, maybe a little bit longer, 35 minutes in winter. It's a really easy trail. It's completely level, and so it's, you know anyone of reasonable fitness or mobility can make the walk without a problem. Uh, but just outside of that, you have Enza Cafe. Now, Enza Cafe is open every day of the year. A uh, very casual kind of Western-style open dining, which is really nice, but serves a menu of both Japanese and Western staples. Uh, good place to sit down and have a meal or have a snack. It, as I said, the, the menu varies through uh, through the seasons. They do a really good ramen if people are interested in ramen. In summer, they often do summer burgers and things like this. They've got some good um, craft beers there and you know, every, you know everything that you would need from a cafe. So that's a really good option to, uh, at the park. So if you're going up there as a group of friends or family, maybe somebody – isn't feeling like they want to do the walk up to the monkeys or just not that interested, that's a great place to sit while your family and friends are in the park and you, you know, you'd be nearby. They've got outdoor decking, sit out there, have your, have your coffee, have your beer, have your meal, and you'll enjoy it. Uh, also nearby the park, there's a um, really nice restaurant called Hotarate. Uh, it's currently this uh, closed drink. Uh, COVID. Uh, I think it, it's been refurbished at the moment, but that should be open again for the return of inbound. Kotarate uh, serve a slightly more focused on a fine dining experience. The building itself is beautiful. The building is a 160-year-old traditional kominka, a traditional uh, kind of rural mansion that's been converted into a restaurant. Uh, they serve a great menu of sushi, wagyu, everything, all those kind of more high-end uh, cuisine that you might be after. Uh, so if you're there and you want to get a, you know, a nice meal uh, while you're at the Monkeys, that's another recommendation. Um, but also, it's worth, as I say, considering staying overnight in the area. There's many traditional guest houses up there, and all of those, or most of them, are going to serve traditional kaiseki menus. Kaiseki is a multi-course traditional menu, and uh, kaiseki menus vary greatly because they use seasonal produce to really uh, kind of um, demonstrate uh, or you know, highlight you know, the, the, the tastes and the food culture of the region. So the menu that you get from one season to the next in the, in the same guest house will be very, very different. So that to me is a real highlight if you want to really experience that aspect of Japanese culture is to stay in one of those guest houses that serves uh, kaiseki and really kind of indulge in you know, that really authentic Japanese experience. That's outstanding. I mean, there's just so much, uh, again, like you're finding that uh, the area has to offer uh, with like, you know, fine dining. You have some cafe, you have some various things there. And is there anything else um, that you might add uh, for listeners uh, that may not expect uh, for when they visit that area um, around the park? Yeah, sure. So the Monkey Park um, is in a wider area called Yamanochi. Now, Yamanochi takes in a fairly large uh, area of land, uh, includes all those onsen towns that I just mentioned, the park, of course, uh, lots of farmlands. But it extends up into the national park that uh, the Monkey Park is at the base of. So that national park is called Joshinetsu Kogan. Uh, it's uh, from the top of my head. I think it's the fourth nas- fourth largest national park in Japan. Uh, up there, you have the largest ski resort in Japan called Shigakogan. So Shigakogan is not just the largest ski resort in Japan; it's also the highest. So it enjoys Nagano's longest ski season. From can run as, as long as from late November uh, until the end of April, or even in a really solid year, possibly into May. Most ski resorts in Nagano are going to operate from mid December, uh, or you know, on a bad year, maybe they're going to be opening around Christmas and running to 
mid-March or into early April. Chicagogan, as I said, some parts of the resort are going to be open from late November to the end of April. You can basically lock that in um, and uh, possibly into May. Now, so I think what people kind of, it might be the monkeys that they're drawn to, you know, within easy reach of, of the monkeys using public buses, you, you have access to the ski resort. Outside of winter, Chicagogan then offers fantastic uh, alpine hiking, uh, nature and wildlife photography. So the monkeys that you see in the park, as I mentioned, they're wild. So they have a, they have a range of uh, many kilometers around the park. So they actually will go up back up into the national park and they come back and down as, as they please. So if you go into the national park, you're going to see plenty of monkeys you're going to see other wildlife up there uh best time for that if you're interested in that is obviously outside of winter when you can uh, walk around and so you're looking there around from late may to june around now when the, all the trails will be open up and they're going to stay open until uh late october into november when the first snows will start to come and then they'll start to shut things down but that's really good uh really good time uh experience uh, nearby the monkeys and one thing worth mentioning there is because of that longer ski season in, uh, in Chikokogem, you have, I think, a quite rare experience around the park where you can go skiing and snowboarding uh, at the ski resort, which is still open at the same time that the blossoms are blooming down around the park. So it's a rare opportunity uh, to enjoy that in Japan. Imagine anywhere in the world where you've got, you know, the... It, these really wonderful experiences so close to each other where you can go and see the monkeys, you can see the blo- the beautiful cherry blossoms at the same time. And, you know, an hour later, you can be up in the mountains snowboarding or skiing. It's uh, pretty, pretty fantastic. And, and for you, like uh, I can say uh, for listeners to uh, getting as many places as possible uh, for you to escape from is going to be a huge part of your tour. You may be somebody um, like my son that I feel could uh, stay in Tokyo in the busiest areas his entire visit and have a you know wonderful time, uh, never feel the need to escape. But uh, one of the things uh, that can occur, especially if you're there, uh, not used to traveling, uh, for two weeks uh, away, you know, and, and abroad, um, getting some places when you feel that need to just get out um, as many places as possible to do a hike or, mm. uh, you know, get some space to yourself for a little bit is a huge thing. So I think that's a wonderful thing to add on. Uh, one more th- reason to uh, visit uh, Nagano. I love it. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Uh, and and for you, um I know uh, COVID could be that uh, million dollar answer uh, uh, Mm. for things as far as like uh, challenges that are kind of, um, you know, that you're facing your current role and uh, the the company is facing right now. Um, What is there anything else that you guys that you're all looking to uh, tackle or is it just kind of as everyone is right now, just waiting to find out uh, when is this going to, uh, (laughs) you know, when is Japan going to (laughs) open back up and uh, allow for all of us to visit again? Yeah, well, I mean, it's no surprise that, that uh, the biggest question for us is exactly that right now as to when uh, Inbound is going to return. We're hopeful it's going to be very soon. The, uh, if you're um, if following the news, the government is taking very tentative steps to opening the border. It's worth saying that the border is open, uh, but it's only open to uh, citizens, for uh, foreign residents and other people like short-term business visitors and uh, international students who are enrolled in Japan. So the real question, I guess, in relevance to the podcast is when does it open to tourism? It's a bit of an unknown, but it, it's looking like it's going to be sometime, hopefully in some form, from July onwards. And with it, we're therefore hoping that maybe by autumn and winter, we're seeing some real return of, of inbound. 
So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing, and actually maybe the, the, the bigger question for us is what tourism is going to look like uh, yes. after COVID is done. Now, um, I think, you know, looking abroad where other countries are more open than Japan. So there's a nice, uh, you, we can look at what, what's happening in other countries, whether the travel trends have changed in those countries. Uh, I think in the, from what I can tell, I think, uh, COVID has really advanced the process that was already happening with a lot of good uh, travel apps and language apps that are now opening up areas for travel that maybe people didn't feel confident to go into before. And so the question might be, what is the role for guided tours then if all these travel apps and language apps are are giving this greater independence? I think they enhance the travel experience. And I think what it does is it puts a premium on high quality tours and a more personalized experience. So that's what we're kind of looking to see is actually how do we now refine our tours that were popular before COVID? How do we refine them um, after COVID to actually make sure they're still meeting the, demand, the travel demands of people as they come into Japan? So that's kind of something which we're keeping our eye on and uh, looking forward to that challenge. I like that. And, I, and it's one thing, like, especially for myself, like I hope uh, more than anything in the world um, that if it's not June, um, as it's looking right now, that after the elections happen in June, like uh, mm. I kind of have this hope, Peter, that they're going to be like, OK, we're elected. We have what we want <laughs> <laughs> now, like July. We're just going to open us, you know, open it back up and and go from there. Um, and that my son still and I, you know, we have that chance end of July to maybe make that trip. But if it's not, and we have to wait uh, that time for summer for, for at least us, because again, teaching, um, I'm only available during the summer. Um, I, I have another year to save. And hmm. adding on the possibility of a guided uh, tour, especially to an area that I may not go to, um, really, uh, if I've had that additional year to save, that sounds more, you know, even more appealing. So. I can get the most out of what I have. So I, 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 I'm right there with you. Um, and, and just, I'd like to see it. Cause it, is it going to be something where everyone like me, who's been saving to go to Japan mm. and continues to save to go to Japan? <laughs> like, you know, what's that going to look like for all of us when we're there? Um, like super interesting for it, but I, it's definitely something, the more I talk to people that offer services like yours, it's definitely something, even though I've been uh, numerous times to Japan that I actually see myself taking advantage of and it's not just i think something that somebody who's coming uh for the first time take advantage of but this could be something as well even if you've been numerous times uh this is something that's definitely opening my eyes uh for what you're offering for sure yeah absolutely it's one thing that one trend that we're seeing with the inquiries because we are now getting a lot of inquiries and people making bookings for what they hope will be their travel in winter or early next year uh, we're seeing a lot of interest in high-end accommodation, private yes. tours, and things like this. Uh, so that's something certainly that we can cater to. Uh, but also, if you are, you know, if you're more focused on kind of a mid-range budget or budget travel, that's also something that, w- that we can cater to. If you look at our website, you're going to see a large range of accommodation we're catering to all budgets, and that's something where I think it's it's good to go through a company like ours who can actually push you, uh, sorry, directly towards a, a guest house that suits your needs. One one of the challenges, especially for first-time travel to Japan is to consider is uh, when booking accommodation just be careful to, to pay attention to the type of room that you're getting so if you're going to a traditional guest house 
that is almost certainly going to include on-floor futon bedding. So it's a rolled-out mattress yes. that, uh, that you'll be sleeping on the floor. Now, that won't, some people find that doesn't suit them, uh, especially those who are not accustomed to it because it feels a little bit different to sleeping in a Western-style bed. But also a lot of traditional guest houses will have shared bathrooms and bathing facilities and there won't be any private options at all if you're looking for that you're much better to, you're much better to go towards a western style hotel or a high-end ryokan so as i mentioned ryokans are the traditional guest houses they may also uh, have uh, japanese style rooms and shared bathing facilities but they're much more likely to also provide you with a private bathroom in your room and the option of western beds and things like this so you know i think going uh, one service that we can provide if you're looking to find the right accommodation for your budgets or your budget or needs is that we can make sure that you're booking the, you know a uh, hotel that's in a good location uh, but also it's going to cater to what you want uh, and so certainly if you know if you're looking for again uh, in-house restaurants things like that that serve you know, japanese but also maybe the option of a western menu uh, guest houses that have uh, Jap- uh, english or chinese speaking staff again we can help you find all those things the final thing to mention uh, obviously as a, as, a, as we discussed winter is our peak season and uh, people booking for winter if you are looking to come to Nagano for the skiing and snowboarding this winter again we are hopeful things will be open um, you really need to be looking about now to be making your bookings especially for accommodation or if you are interested in getting private uh, transport or, or tours people typically book their uh, holidays around six months out so around June to July and those bookings are now coming in now now it's a bit it's a bit difficult to to make those concrete bookings isn't it when you know we don't know for sure when the order opens but that's something to consider if you are looking to come for winter uh, now is the time to be contacting to make sure you get the accommodation especially which books out uh, well in advance so something something to think about no that, that's for sure and I, I think that's when you start taking advantage uh, with things kind of up in the air uh, having someone with some expertise especially in that area uh, just means that much more um, it's huge it's huge and um, one thing I'm going to go ahead and ask here, uh, Peter, is uh, kind of like a, a PSA, I guess, if you have like, oh, if you were going to uh, talk to somebody who was saying, hey, thinking about moving to Japan, look, thinking about moving to Nagano, um, what would be some advice that you would give to someone that was thinking about possibly uh, making that move not only to Japan, but to uh, Nagano as an area? Yeah, well, first I'd say go for it <laughs> because personally, personally, I think the lifestyle just can't. One of the reasons that we choose to be here, for example, rather than Australia, as much as I love Australia, I miss my family and friends. But I just think the lifestyle in uh, regional Japan is very, very livable. Uh, you know, everybody knows how safe and clean and, and, and respectful Japanese culture is. But one thing that they might not be aware of is because you know Tokyo and these cities have a reputation to be expensive, which they tend to be. There, there is a, you know you can travel cheap through those cities if you want as well. But you know if they tend to be a little bit more expensive. Regional Japan, there's a really nice lifestyle here where you don't need a lot of money to live well. Uh, so I'd say first thing I would say is if you're considering if you're considering moving to um, to Japan or you're already in Japan, look seriously at Nagano and uh, similar locations because I think the quality of life really is is up there. It's really hard to beat. Um, in terms of actually making that move happen, especially if you're coming from abroad, I think that the hardest thing is always going to be to find work. And to find meaningful work in Japan is as, as a foreigner can be really tricky. So realistically, the best option might be yeah, something like if you're younger and you have a um, if you have a 
a bachelor's degree is to look for something like teaching English, but actually nominate that you want to go to a regional area. I think you won't have any problem to find work. Some of those teaching roles are really fantastic. So the bit of teaching that I've done when I lived in Japan when I was uh, a bit younger was uh, in schools and so always teaching to kids. Now, some people might think, yeah, I don't want to do that. Kids are too much effort and they certainly are a lot of work, but it's also, <laughs> it's also great fun. Um, uh, you know, speaking personally, uh, you the kids wanted to be there. They loved every all the aspects of it. It's chaos, but it's actually you know it's good fun. So I think it's not it's actually a good option to come in, and you might find that that's something that you like and you want to keep doing there, and you you won't have any problem finding work in that regard. Uh, if you're then looking to then or move directly or you're looking to start with a different company like a, a tourism. Um, I think you need to look at what skills yeah, do you bring to that company. So firstly, language. Uh, language is a really essential part of, of, of living here. Uh, I think you don't need fluent Japanese to necessarily pick up work. I certainly don't have uh, fluent Japanese, but you need an adequate level to be able to communicate uh, and and actually get your point across to people, uh, especially if, for things like guiding, you need to be able to you know have transactional conversations and make make things happen, and actually you know interpret basic conversations between your guest and and, and local people. So I'd say focus on getting your um, language skills up to speed, and then just shop around because I think a lot of uh, a lot of jobs like the one that I found was you know it's very much word of mouth sometimes. Uh, we are looking to actually uh, take on some new guides as as the border opens up and so if someone is directly interested in working with us keep an eye on our website uh, we are likely to advertise once we once we have a more concrete idea as to when the border will open we're likely to advertise to take on some new uh, guides uh, primarily we're looking for people who are already in japan uh, uh, people who are already in the nagano area or looking to relocate so keep an eye on that but if anyone's interested um, regardless of your situation if you've listened today and you're interested in, in what we do and what we're about feel free to get in contact and we're more than happy to have a conversation i certainly understand what it's like to be looking to you know find work here and so i'm more than happy to to correspond with people and, and give them every assistance that we can maybe a couple of years peter but you know i might be uh you know uh reaching out <laughs> If anyone is considering guiding as a as a career uh, in Japan or anywhere, I really recommend it. I mean, I, I really, it's 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 a tiring job because some of the days can be quite long, and you've got to be you know prepared to respond to all types of things. But generally, uh, you know, most guests are really really lovely. Uh, I really enjoy being part of their experience and really enhancing their experience of Japan. So it's a really rewarding job, and keep, keeps you young, gets gets you out. So it's it's good. I, th- I think it sounds like uh, awfully similar to teaching, my friend. One hundred percent. You know, it's like my interaction <laughs> with the kids every day. It's c- controlled chaos at times, but you know, <laughs> they do keep you up to date on the uh, latest trends, and uh, I feel you know, stay young as <laughs> yeah. a result of that too. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Can I just say one more thing, then, Michael? Just oh, please thing. do. Yeah, one other thing, if you are in Japan and you are a uh, similar travel company or possibly you're a guide living in uh, outside of Nagano, but, you know, in, in the central Japan area, um, we are, we find that year on year our scope is expanding as we, you know, so we began just with the monkeys and we've, over time, grown out through all of Nagano and now out into some of the surrounding prefectures. Yeah, if you're a similar travel company or if you're a guide in one of those regional areas um, and interested in possibly partnering or working with us, 
feel free to get in contact. Uh, we're always looking for new opportunities. And um, so we'd be very happy to have a chat with anyone who's in the area and, and, and looking to uh, work with us or in partnership with us, uh, even if they're not in Nagano itself. So feel free to get in touch and we'd be very happy to have a chat. Thank you so much uh, for, for staying with uh, up until this time. Is there anything that you'd like to add um, and share that we maybe haven't talked about uh, to this point with listeners uh, uh, of the show? Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's, yeah, apologize for all the issues we've had trying to get the recording to work, but uh, hopefully it all comes out at the business end and everyone, everyone can enjoy it. Um, just two things I would say. Uh, firstly, um, when you come to Japan, if, if you're a first-time uh, visitor and you've never been before, uh, one thing I see through my tours and talking to guests, many of whom, are, you know, it's their third, fourth, fifth, you know, tenth time in Japan, they, people love it, is that it might take one visit here to realize that don't worry about language. Uh, obviously, yes. most people visiting here are not going to speak Japanese. Um, if you can pick up a few basic phrases before you come, I think Japanese really appreciate it because most Japanese, or all Japanese, learn English all through school. And so it, you might get the impression that they don't speak English. Uh, it's not that they don't. It's that they sometimes don't have confidence to speak it, even though the English might be quite good. Uh, so... Don't worry about that because you're always going to find someone that can communicate and you can get your point across and, and you have to get somebody to assist. But also it's a country where nothing is going to go wrong. Uh, you're not going to wander into a bad part of town. You're not going to get on the wrong train and you know nobody's going to help you. Someone's always going to assist you. Uh, so don't feel like you're limited to the cities where you're going to get more English in the cities. You come out to an area like Nagano and pretty quickly English disappears, but it shouldn't stop you at all from coming out here. So take advantage of the language apps that really, really help things now. But even if that's not an option, don't hesitate because I think you're going to come out here and you're going to discover there was nothing to worry about. And on your next visit to Japan, you're going to head straight to those areas because you realize, no, I'll just go out there and things things will work. So that's the first thing. Don't worry about language. If you can pick up a few words and phrases, it helps Japanese to relax a little bit because they can see that you're trying. helps them relax into it. But that's it's not going to be a problem at all. Uh, the second thing I'd say, uh, in terms of booking your trip here, um, a lot of people will find our company and other companies through booking platforms online. Uh, th those are all fantastic in the sense that you can compare what's out there, the different tours that are available and discover things that you may not have known were available. And if you choose to book with us through an online platform uh, outside of our website, you know, we appreciate every booking. So thank you so much. But one thing to keep in mind, and this applies to all uh, travel companies, I think, you know, in, in Japan and elsewhere, that those uh, booking platforms sometimes charge quite substantial commissions on uh, to get the booking. Uh, so if you have the ability to book directly with the, the um, service provider, that's always appreciated something because then the you know the money is effectively going to the person providing you with the travel experience well, the reason I, I raise that is that it's been a really tough you know two years for, yes. for this for this industry uh, a lot of uh, uh, people haven't made it through and the ones that have, have probably made it through you know by the skins of their teeth it's now been two years without any tourism for us and so you know those commissions that can be lost using the online platforms can really make a big difference, especially to small operators or family-run businesses in particular. So if you have the ability to book directly with uh, the travel provider, uh, it's a really good idea because it really helps them uh, to you know, maximize 
um, recouping some of the, the lost um, money that they haven't been able to have, get access to over the last two years. And I said, this really affects smaller businesses, especially family-run businesses. And you get a lot of that in regional Japan where the accommodation or the business is all family-run. And they've had effectively, they've had no income for two years. Uh, so they've been living on government subsidies and probably taking second and third jobs just to, just to try to survive. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of people eagerly anticipating uh, the return of inbound. And uh, you know, I think that kind of just a small thing like that, if you have the ability to do that, it really, really helps them to, to maximize, you know, recouping some of the lost time and lost money that they've had. I like that. And Peter, it's, I think, also why my show's kind of a changed format of where we were kind of going from city to city to city, uh, mm. kind of giving some recommendations. But um, from talking with others that we've uh, had the pleasure of talking to and talking with you today, I think that message that you're saying right now um, about the best way that you know, listeners and people are going to be traveling to Japan can have the money when they do travel, make that most of an impact so that those uh, places that we enjoy are there on a return trip and not mm-hmm. just on this one we're going to. And I think that's a that's a huge message to get out. And um, that's 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 one I definitely uh, want for as many people as possible to, to hear. So that, yeah. that's great. Could I, this, 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 if you don't mind if I add on to that, that's especially sure. so in, yeah, in regional Japan because I, I'm sure yeah, people who are traveling in the cities, especially if you look at things like accommodation, they're probably going to be staying in large hotels run by large companies. But once you get outside of the cities and come out to areas like this, a lot of the accommodation is family run. Uh, and so that's their whole business and may have been their business for many, many generations. So the, you know, the, the uh, the last few years has been very, very stressful for them because they're not just trying to keep, you know, a business, their own business uh, afloat. It's a business that maybe has been running through their family for generations. So they really feel the obligation to keep it going. Uh, so this extends to accommodation. And if you have the ability to, to you know, to book with little guest houses, local family run things, it's always uh yeah, hugely appreciated by those people. And it's really, it's a way to yeah, put something back into the communities that you're visiting. So that's something that I'd really encourage people to um, to consider when they're booking their travel, not just in Japan, I guess any country really. So I, I, It's great. And then like, like you said, I said, if, if, if that uh, can't convince you about, uh, you know, spending the night in uh, Nagano, I think, uh, you know, if the, monkey, if the monkeys don't do it, I think that's a great reason to, you know, make that booking, you know, for yourself. And, you know, one thing I find, I find, uh, Peter, you never know what you're going to like about an area. And yeah. when I do day trips, uh, I don't know if you're the same way, but if I plan a day trip, I almost always find myself wishing I had more time and yeah. not wanting yeah. to be rushed. So, you know, let's go ahead and uh, book that night and, uh, you know, head on from there. I think that's a great, uh, you know, great thing that's here. So um, one thing I want to ask uh, Peter as well, I know what we did at the beginning of our talk, but uh, some people may have, uh, you know, joined at different times. Uh, uh, the, you know, when listening. So once again, uh, where can uh, listeners of Lost Without Japan uh, find you and uh, best look to try to take advantage of the services that you're offering? Yeah, sure. So our website is by far the best place to go. It's snowmonkeyresorts.com. Uh, on there, um, you have uh, all information uh, about all the services and products that we provide. Uh, you have a lot of information, of course, about the monkeys and surrounding area of Nagano and central Japan. Uh, but one thing which might surprise uh, first-time visitors to the website is the amount of information that is uh, on the website about other areas. So, for yes. example, we have pages that discuss the best museums in um 
in um, in Tokyo, uh, the best you know temples and things in Kyoto. They, you know, uh, so we have that information in recognition that people hopefully will be visiting uh, Nagano and Central Japan as part of a wider itinerary. So I think yes. there's a lot on the website that maybe you won't be expecting to find, but a lot of information there about uh, regions, obviously most detail about our region, Central Japan, but also lots and lots. And increasingly, I'm currently working on putting some pages up there about uh, Okinawa, so that'll be up there in the next uh, week or two. Uh, and so you'll be surprised by maybe some of the information you'll you'll find there. I like that. And uh, for yourself, kind of like back to yourself, uh, uh, you know, for a little bit before we uh, we we part ways here in a moment. Um, uh, what do you have any uh, favorite uh, podcasts, YouTube shows or anything else that you may uh, consume that uh, covers, you know, maybe Japan or other topics like uh, that you might be interested in that you want to share? Hmm. Uh, well, I, to, to be honest, I don't tend to listen to podcasts specifically about Japan. I think you know, living here and given that my job is in tourism industry, I feel like I need to turn my brain off sometimes to <laughs> to, to all things Japan. But quite honestly, I'm not just being polite. I've, I've really enjoyed um, since that we've been in contact. I've gone through and listened to a, a number of your podcasts. And I've really enjoyed them. So thank you so much for providing that. And I you know, wish you all the best with the future episodes. I hope that this, this can add to that success. Um, I personally, as I mentioned, um, my, my personal interest is in, in other cultures and particularly old cultures. I study archaeology um, many, many years ago now and um, have continued that interest on through life. So I tend to listen to things like podcasts, uh, history podcasts, uh, podcasts of that nature, and often they uh, touch on Japan because Japan obviously uh, a lot of people are interested in it. So while it's not directly related to Japan itself, I listen to, most commonly I listen to a, a British podcast called The Rest is History. Uh, it it's um, hosted by a, a two a classic a classical uh, historian called uh, Tom Holland and a contemporary historian called Dominic Sandbrook. And they cover a, a wide range of uh, his, uh, histories from, you know, from the ancient world to contemporary, uh, uh, touching on politics and all types of things. But th- so they do it with a lot of, uh, you know, obviously a lot of um, uh, deep, deep knowledge, uh, but also with a lot of humor. So I think it's a really uh, easy podcast to listen to and they cover a range of topics in Japan does come up. So that gives a little indication of kind of who I am as a person, the fact that that's what I, that's what I listen to. But as I said, I kind of, uh, I take my approach to guiding in Japan, you know, comes from a basis of a, a history, a interest in uh, other cultures in general, and Japan is part of that picture. Uh, one thing I should mention actually feeds into that is one thing that I tend to focus on in Japan, uh, on my, so my tours, is that um, people probably come at Japan with the understanding that Japan is a unique country, totally different to everywhere else. It's a message that you know, Japan likes to put out there itself. I think all cultures are unique um, and all cultures blend and borrow and, you know, from each other and Japan is no different. And so one thing that you would experience if I was guiding you is really focusing on that, is that Japan it takes things and refines them to a very Japanese way and Japanese point. But actually most of what you see in Japan, again, is a blend of things that are borrowed, imported from other cultures. And I think it makes it a more interesting story than maybe the one that people are expecting that this is all unique and it's totally different. Yes, it's very Japanese. Everything is done in a very Japanese way, but there's lots of commonalities with other cultures, and I think it, yeah, it makes it, it makes a richer story. And that podcast is kind of reflective of it. That it kind of 
that, you know, kind of that message comes across in terms of how rich, how deep the kind of global story is. And I think Japan's part of that. I like that. And that's like the more you can go, the, you're going to find uh, other places to visit as well. Mm. Um, you know, there, I'm sure there's people that are listening that are, you know, going to come to Japan and have that be a trip that they do, like that once in a lifetime trip. And um, who knows, you may find other places that you fall in love with as well. Or just like you said, um, you know, I think the more we uh, appreciate and understand others, I think the more we're going to get out of just everyday life in general. So that's 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 great. And um do you have any, uh, I know you've, you've hit upon a few of these, like you're looking to expand um, and offer more and kind of have a wider area. Um, do you have any goals uh, for yourself or uh, your role with Snow Monkey uh, for like that 2022 and beyond? Mm. Yeah, well, the, f- the first one is really getting <coughs> things back to where they were. Uh, so we, we, we saw a lot of growth in the years uh, as it, since I joined the company, which was 2017 until the start of COVID. And we were growing year on year, which was fantastic. So the first thing for us is going to be getting things back to where they were. But one thing that I like about the company that I work for, um, we, we never sit still. So it's always about kind of going into, the, going into the next area and what we can do. So not returning to the place that we were, but obviously going past that and expanding into um, uh, new areas of Japan. Uh, personally, in terms of my role, it's going to involve in actually continuing to develop the website and to put more and more information on there, which we think, we hope that people find really useful and they kind of see the, our website as a resource, not just for Nagano, but just central Japan and hopefully all of Japan. And then for us, it's about identifying new opportunities within Japan uh, to partner with like-minded companies companies that's where i'm going to be keeping a keen eye on this podcast to be honest because i think (laughs) you've identified um i really enjoyed listening to the podcast the other day from uh, the uh, cycle company in osaka and so just to yeah look at companies that may potentially might be interested in partnering or identifying people uh based in other areas maybe as i said maybe um independent guides who have, yes. uh, that we can partner with. Maybe they approach us with a suggestion of something that we can do or we approach them. So that's going to be, the, I think, the next stage for us as uh, things open up. Wish you nothing but the the best uh, for for everything for yourself, uh, your family, uh, and uh, the you know your role with the company as whole, and uh, really uh, can't wait to meet one day in uh, person, yes. Peter, and have that be sooner rather than uh, <laughs> later, hundred times over. So, <laughs> well, it's an open invite anytime, mate, and I'll put on a few beers for you, a few Nagano beers. So, um, yeah, anytime we're here, and uh, love to see you face to face. Sounds good, my friend. And um, I appreciate it all. And once again, I'll add all of these uh, in the uh, show notes uh, for site, uh, Instagram, and all of that good stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. But thank you. Thank you so much again, Peter, for joining us today. Um, Truly appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for your time, Michael. All the best. Thank you. And on behalf of Lost Without Japan and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us today for this interview. We look forward to seeing you on board again for our next regularly scheduled episode as we continue our discussion on Japan, travel, culture, and your Lost Without moments. To everyone out there, Oginki Day. Stay well, my friends.